Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. As you know, I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober 36 years and 11 months, one day at a time. Um, I was thinking this few minutes ago, this has been one of the most exciting years of my life. Turned 81, but since my late 70s, 79, 80, 81, I am learning more things than I thought I could ever learn in a lifetime. This program just seems to accelerate rather than slow down. And it's just the most marvelous experience. We, I shared with you all that we're not doing the steps through a very typical way, but through some different doors. So often we're giving the steps one, two, three, and this is what it says, and this is how we do it. And that's not how I'm doing it. We're going in order, but we're not doing it in the classic way. First of all, I wanted to be the big picture. We're so into the details of the steps that we forget the big picture. What is the big picture? Not about lust. It only mentions lust one time in the first step. <laughs> It's about having a spiritual awakening. And what else is it about the big picture? We start with step one, and we say we are without power. The steps and the program is about how we get power back. How can we end up for the rest of our lives not having power about our addiction? We are powerless from this medical, what I, in my opinion, not true or false, but the way I utilize my program based on the doctor's opinion that we are powerless because of this brain problem we have, a disease that most of us have had since we were children, before we even knew what sex was. We were, are powerless over our disease, but somehow we get power back not to be powerless over our disease. 
Unbelievable. And today, we're going to start getting glimpses of getting that power back. And that was just a mistake, I said, getting it back. Getting it. Because we never had it. Now, what is the big picture to end up getting a spiritual awakening? What is the big picture that the steps do for us? It helps us deflate our ego, root, and branch. Because the Ego is what's blocking us from having a spiritual awakening. And in getting the power back. Now you're going to say, how the hell does Harvey say we get power back? Well, it's in the 11th step. Praying only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. The power to carry it out. Fascinating. When we look at the steps as a whole, it's just an automatic way that knocks our ego down. Because in last week's talk, we looked at where it said, we're now at we are um, we were at step three and then for three pages it doesn't mention step three and then on three pages later it says we are now at step three what was in those three pages a description of my ego a description Three pages telling me about how I'm a director and I'm the actor and I'm selfish and self-centered and driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-seeking and self-delusion. Self, 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 self. So what is happening is this process of getting rid of self. Man, how can we get rid of self? What will be left of us if we let go of our mental possessions, ownership, me, mine, my children, my wife, my money, my knowledge, my religion, What happens when we stop owning these things and the ego gets lowered? Well, the smaller the ego, the bigger the God of your understanding. Which means you don't have to believe in God. (laughs) If your understanding is there's no God, I've known atheists in this program with decades of years. 
the God of their understanding. I had a sponsor once who's sober over 36 years. The God of his understanding is called love. So he really has a God. He happens to call its name love. So here we're doing this general process. The steps are not separate entities. We're not separate entities. And when you get rid of ego, which we cannot get rid of, but which the steps help us get rid of, we find we are all connected to everything. Just like the steps are all interconnected. Okay, so let's, I said we were going to finish step three today, and we were going to start step four. So what is the best way of doing step three? The prayer. The step three prayer, it says it all. So if you have your books around, let's take it one word at a time. And since we're limited in time, and by the way, I speak for 30 minutes leave it open to you all for questions for 30 minutes. We close the meeting, and then I continue for another half hour, 45 minutes, for those who want to keep asking questions. I also want to make a disclaimer. This is all my opinions. I don't speak for essay as a whole. This is merely... My experience, strength, and hope for staying sober one day at a time. So it says right before the prayer, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter we were reborn. Boy, that's a tough word. We were reborn. This it takes on such um, religious connotation. It has such religiosity only for the cultural aspect of it that most of us were brought up with. But what does that mean in our terms? The old me will use again. The old me will act out again. <laughs> if I don't have a rebirth, not on religious terms, but on the book's terms of the furniture in the spiritual independence in the back, the spirit. The, we don't change furniture in our brain. It gets moved to a different place. Same furniture. And if I've explained to you in the past sessions, I used to, my character defect, 
was I used to seduce any woman, any man I could seduce for sex. Now, 36 years later, what do I do? I seduce every man and woman for essay recovery. <laughs> so it's the same furniture. It's just been shifted to a different room. Before I came in the program, all I wanted to do was talk about sex and be around sex other sex addicts so I could have sex. 36 years later, all I do is talk about sex and be with other sex addicts. Same furniture, different placement. Because God doesn't, the God of my understanding, whatever that means, doesn't make crap. It was just that my natural instincts, my ego, went wild in a different direction. Okay, so how do we become someone else and remain the same? <laughs> we were reborn. And it's very simple. It tells us God, and it starts out with the word God. Um, for many people in the beginning, there's too much trauma related to our childhood and religion. And many people rebel against that word. So, as you know, I call it G-O-D, good orderly direction, or I call it G-O-D, a group of drunks, or you could call it Allah or Jesus, a Hashem, whatever you want to call it. The many Hindu gods, you could call it anything you want. But my sponsor would always say, Harvey, just picture all the fun God is having with people trying to find a name for him, for it. So it starts with that word, God, you do whatever you want with it. But what does it really mean? We were told the previous page, two pages. First, we had to know we were not God. <laughs> the whole answer to having a God is knowing we're not it. How can we have a God if we're still stuck playing actor, scriptwriter, director? And the prayer tells us how to do it. By the way, I do this twice a day on my knees. The moment I wake up in the morning, I do this prayer because I was told to do it many years, 36, seven years ago when I got into AA. And I do it right before I go to bed. 
and I do it before I'm intimate with my wife. I give the act to God. Okay? And what do I do? What am I saying? I give you me. I offer myself. What does myself mean? I give you myself. It doesn't mean me. It means my damn ego. God, I give you this ego of mine that makes me think I'm you. I offer myself to you, to thee. Let's see. To build with me and to do with me as you will. So my prayer throughout the day is made thy will be done, not my will. I always add, not my will. My will is so screwed up. If I didn't interfere with some of this, I take you out. It's right beyond that window to my, I'm on the third floor in this apartment and I have a screened in porch and I love plants, small little porch. I have 60 plants. I must have 20 20 orchids. See, my will is I can't ever get enough. Can't ever get enough. My will. There's never enough when it's outside stuff. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. What does that mean to me in practical terms? Harvey, don't listen to your thoughts. Your thoughts say, get this over with fast so you could go look for another orchid. <laughs> That's what my mind wants to do. Now, take away my difficulties. What do you think the word difficulties mean? It means my character defects. We're beginning to get the hint that we cannot make them go away ourselves. That's ego, which we'll learn about in the fourth step, thinking once I discover my character defect, I could wipe them away. No, the more I try to get rid of them, the more <laughs> I'm back in ego. So it says, take away my difficulties, my character defects. For what reason? Why? It says it. That victory over them, and I'll put it in English words, may show other people what? It says, bear witness to those I would help. 
of your power, your love, and your way of life. Ah, this morning I was re reading it, never saw it before. What the hell do we mean? How do we know God's way of life? Someone will say it's in the Bible or it's in the Koran or it's here or it's in Torah. Thy way. How about substituting the words, the steps? That's God's way for us. The way of life to, to show others that this way of life is spectacular to deal with a life-threatening disease. Life-threatening disease. Especially nowadays, because with COVID, you get it in your head to act out. You're not going to care if the prostitute had a vaccine or not. You're going to do whatever it takes. So watch the first time we're hearing the power. <laughs> it says so people could see the power that I'm starting to be able to say, hey, I just had a crazy thought. It's not real. It's not me. I could do something else this moment. I could use an 18-wheeler. You start getting the power to utilize the fellowship. May I do thy will always. What's God's will for me? I sure didn't know then when I first came in, but I had some simple things I went for that told me in the book what it was to be happy, joyous, and free. Why do I use that? Because it's one of the few times in the big book it says we are certain. Wow, they never use the word certain. Or if it is, I don't know many times it's used in the first 164 pages. We are certain God wants us to be happy, joyous, and That we could, we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. Most people aren't ready. They don't want to let go of lust. They want to stop acting out, but they don't want to let go of lust. As you notice, that's my constant theme here. We have a disease. 
but the disease is not an allergy to sex. It can't be. There's so many of us in the program still have sex with our wives. Maybe not at the same frequency, but it might have been part of the addiction. But we know we can't be allergic to sex. Roy, our founder, discovered that because he was having sex with his wife at times. As he also said, during my accident periods, which meant he had times of not having sex. So it says we could at last abandon ourselves utterly. So what are we abandoning? The thought that we could control and enjoy lust. Control and enjoy it. Last week I talked about that at age 81, and I won't be here that long, relatively speaking, that the the legacy for me in SA was for people to remember that I'd say, it doesn't even have to be that I said it naturally. Hopefully it gets lost in the shuffle. But that the term, we are not bad getting good, we are sick getting well. The other legacy is that this is an allergy to lust, not to sex. The lust comes first, and then the acting out comes. Now, I'm talking about sex in terms of our definition, not in general. No sex with self and no sex outside our marriage. People are going to say, that's not fair, this isn't fair, and that's not fair. Um, it might not be fair, okay, for single people. But you know what? You ask a lot of married guys who are active and not anorexic in their marriage. It's very hard for them to be laying in the same bed with their wives and not having sex all the time. So they're working the program too. It's like having a beautiful steak if you're not a vegetarian in front of you all the time. They need to work their program also. But we are allergic to lust Masturbation especially doesn't come out of nowhere if it's done during the daytime and not in the middle of the night. It does not come out of nowhere. You first get a thought. By the time you're actually masturbating, the endorphins have already gotten you drunk from just the thought I'm going to do. So it then says, 
we found it very desirable to take this special spirit that take this spiritual step with an understanding person. It's very interesting. You all didn't put me on the spot, but I was on the spot when you asked about the first step in a group, giving someone giving their first step in a group. And I wasn't so gung-ho. It wasn't something we necessarily did in the beginning. It's not necessarily in the essay book. But this is different. Getting on your knees in a group or with your sponsor and doing the third step is such a terrific experience if you're not drunk when you're doing it. To get on your knees in front of people and to say, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self so I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them will bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. I'm dyslexic. I don't memorize well. This is the one prayer I have memorized. I did it before the meeting. I got on my knees. I did the third step prayer. And then I said, God, you talk for me if you have something for me to say. As you can tell, I don't sometimes have little notes, but I'm, I don't prepare these talks. I get few little ideas of what I don't want to do, few little ideas what I do want to do. And then the following paragraph says, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal housekeeping, which many of us have never attempted, and it tells us it's time to do the fourth step. Now I want to shock you all. Yes, I'm here to shock you. (laughs) Why is shock important? To break out of programmed thinking. Bill W. did his, all his steps in six weeks. Dr. Bob was doing his eighth step and ninth step (laughs) the day after he got sober the second time. Be careful of bullcrap. Be careful. Once you've done your first step, absolutely. Only step that has to be done absolutely. 
everything else cannot be done with perfection. And that's why we have the 10th step. To pick up on what we missed in the beginning. And so what, how do we do this? We keep it simple. People end up writing biographies. And it's usually about how they have been abused by other people. This is so basic. Three columns. How much simpler can it get? It's so simple, I couldn't figure it out. With all my education, all my degrees, I couldn't figure that chart out. Some high school kid never went beyond high school, and AA had explained it to me. You can't be too dumb to get this program, but you can be too smart. It's so simple. And I tell my sponsees, I have a little special way, but... I have them write, God, write this for me. And then I tell them to take a piece of paper and just make three columns. That's simple. And on the first page, just write resentments on the top. And then underneath the names of the people you resent or the institutions. My sponsor was very much into my original sponsor I talk about all the time, into not putting thousands of people down. You get an overall picture. And you write if it's your mother, your father, and then it's very simple. I am angry at my mother. I'm resentful, top of the page. At, first column, my mother. Second column. What did she do? She stabbed me with a bread knife. And I had to go to the emergency room when I was a teenager. Third column. How does it affect me? And of all things, they tell you what to write. You could pick any of the things they've told you. You could almost be brain dead to do this. It's so simple, people can't get it. Well, how did it affect me? Naturally, it affected my security. It affected my self-esteem. It affected my personal relations and my sex relations. What I thought of women, how I interacted with women. Very simple. 
Next one, my father. He watched my mother do all these things, never interfered. How did it affect me? Pick some of those words. Now, you could do it with a Hazleton booklet. You could do it with all kinds of booklets. You could do it any way you want. But I suggest you also do what the book says. It can't hurt to do what the book says. Wow, we're way over the 30 minutes. You got a little glimpse of some of the things we'll be doing next week on the fourth step. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your service, Harvey and Daniel and everyone else. My question is, is that uh, I, too, um, in the morning, get up and do my third step. And at night, I say the third step. And sometimes before I'm married I'm with my wife, I say the third step. But I feel like a hypocrite, you know, because I'll say this third step. I turn my will, my life over to God's care. And I blow my cool and blow my hand off my wife. That's something small and benign. So I feel like, who am I really kidding here, you know? Is there any value to like say it if I'm, I, mean, I want to do it. I mean, I, I think it's good, but I don't know. It's, it's like you have to be honest in this program. Who am I kidding here? You know, so just want to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks. <clears throat> um, this is two answers. <clears throat> One is, are you sexually sober by our definition? You don't have to answer that. I'm not here to put you on the spot. So if you, are not sexually sober by our definition, it's going to be very difficult to not be irritable, restless, and discontented when the drug's wearing down, which is within hours or days of when you act out and then the endorphins are going down and you're withdrawing. So the irritability, restlessness, and discontent is going to be there. And it's going to be very hard doing the third step when you haven't taken the first step. I'm assuming you are sober. But by the way, this is what I shared last week about that person who wasn't sober doing the fourth step. I wished him well, but I don't know how you do it when you're drunk. You know. Perhaps it could be done, but I don't, I don't get it. If you're sober, then the important thing to do is compare you with you from last month and last year and a few years ago. And you will see how you are jumping on her case less than you used to. We have a tendency to want this program to be magic. Never compare you with someone else in the program. Don't compare your insides with their outsides. Always compare you with you prior to the program 
a few months ago, whatever. So I was, I had never been physically abusive to my wife. Sexually abusive, yes, with frequency, but not physically abusive. I was sober about four years. And one day I got so angry at her, I started shaking her physically. Man, what's going on here? I should be cured within four years. <laughs> Surprise! But I was able to grow from that experience and also do this very special prayer. Thank you, God, for letting me see I'm not cured yet. I haven't done that to her in decades and decades since. I was sober 20 years, and my daughter-in-law, something happened, and I exploded at her, verbally cursed her out, 20 years sobriety. But boy, did I learn a lot about me from that experience. And I went to a therapist, too, who I knew, to see what actually happened. This is progress, not perfection, except for the first step. You cannot be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You cannot be a little allergic to penicillin. You're either allergic or you're not allergic. So the first step is the acknowledgement without a doubt that no matter what I do, if I try to control and enjoy lust, this is what's going to happen. Just like a penicillin allergy, you're going to break out with a rash. So it needs to be an absolute. All the others are progress, not perfection. Now, many of you are going to get discouraged from that. You're going to say, what does Harvey mean taking the first step Absolutely. Well, that's why we went over those first five paragraphs. We had to be how it works, H-O-W. Those first five paragraphs tell us H-O-W, how it works. Honesty in that first paragraph, then little on, it talks about letting go of old ideas, which is open-mindedness which is a reflection that our old ideas that this isn't a disease, isn't working. The old idea that I'm bad getting good rather than the new idea I'm sick getting well. And last but not least, said if you're willing to go to any length, the willingness. Most people aren't willing to go to any length. 
which sometimes means going to treatment centers or going just meeting after meeting, you know, three times a day, whatever it means. Okay, next question. Okay, so we have a question on the chat, and we have a bunch of hands going up already, but um, I try and go in the order that they come in. How do I receive the wisdom to exactly distinguish between what is in my power and I need to, and I need the courage to act upon and what is in only God's power? And I can only pray about it to him. Uh, our power is a delusion. I can't tell you about God's power. It's that's experiential. You could experience it. But I don't know how we do words for it. But my power is delusional. And COVID proved it. Everything's changed. All the things we thought we were in control of. Some of us can't even, couldn't even go outside our homes. It's a delusion. You cannot control the weather. You certainly can't control your family members. They could pretend like you're controlling it, but you never know what's going on behind closed doors. We certainly can't control our governments. We can't control our religious leaders. What really are you in control of? Getting up in the morning, going to work. Well, if you get the virus, you're not going to be able to get up in the morning and go to work. It's a delusion. Are we in control of our mind? Try getting rid of a lust thought if you're in control of your mind. The more you try to get rid of it, the more it comes in. This is the essence in many ways of the steps to show us through default what's left. When we let go of everything in our belief system, we see what that we could control it. Somehow we see the beauty in things we never saw before. Any snowstorm will knock out any of your <laughs> interests in controlling what you were going to do that day. However, I'd like to turn this back to whoever asked it and let me know some of the things that you think you are in control of. This I could be mistaken. Is that person still there? They're here. They might want to type something. I mean, for me personally, I, I the way I understood it is that it's my reaction, but even... You know, I guess you're saying that even my reaction to things is something that I don't really have any control over. I definitely don't have power over anything, but that's just me answering it. But I can learn to change the programming of my reaction to things. 
You right. could learn to do it, Daniel, but you can't necessarily do it. No. <laughs> you could learn how to do it, but yet we can't do it a lot of times. Right. I had an interesting experience. There's a couple we eat with, and I've requested at dinner time he not bring up politics. Because I have let go of so much of this. And he keeps doing it. And then he will say to me, but how someone with your smarts, how can you vote for someone like you did? Etc. And I get all worked up and angry. And it took two days ago, again, after I've asked him not to do it. And I got furious inside me. I got so angry. And um, this morning I was reading a book about how happiness is free. And it said, the man said, I had all these women friends and they really loved me, appreciated me, but it was very short-lived, the happiness feeling. When they would tell me I'm so great and I'm good and they love me. And he said, one day I realized my happiness isn't from them telling me they love me. That's short-lived but my loving them. The prayer of St. Francis. It's better to give than receive. And this afternoon, I invited them for lunch. And I had one of the best times and the poor guy lost his hearing aid, and it fell, and he was all upset, and I tried finding it, and he said, no, 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 and finally I found it, and he was so appreciative, but you know what? In a few weeks, he'll bring up politics again, but I will never forget that my job isn't to control what he says at lunch. I can either not have lunch with them, but my job is to love him with his different opinions. Like I do you all. My God, the differences in couple, you know, I think we had about 244 people or something. The differences we all have is inconceivable. And yet, we're one. Based on love. Love and tolerance is our code. He did have a response. He said, do, uh, do I control doing the steps or slash not actively acting out? I've never seen anyone control not acting out. Maybe they c- can but you don't control it. You let go of saying, I cannot control it. You surrender. I have a disease. I can't control it. 
And lo and behold, you become willing to ask for help. So when the first thought comes into your head, you can pick up a telephone and share it with someone before it takes you over. I'll only touch myself, but not to orgasm. Ever try that? Control that? You know, I used to say, and I haven't said it in a long time, what so many people in the program can't talk for the women, but for the guys who will keep touching themselves, get aroused keep touching himself, not get an orgasm, and say they're sober. And I said over and over, many of you might not remember this term, but there's nothing worse than waterboarding in torture, than having purposeful erections and not having an orgasm. If that isn't self-torture, what is? It's like trying to stop urinating in the middle of the stream once you start. In the big book, in step four, at this point, they say we list people, uh, institutions, and principles. And I think principles is the really tough one to, it has been for me, it's hard to explain, it's hard for other people to get. Any thoughts on principle? Like you talked about, you know, don't laugh in the morning or you won't, you'll cry at night. And that, that, that was like kind of a principle, but really the resentment was probably towards your mom more than the principle. So anyway, any thoughts on how to uncover where I'm pissed off or irritated or feel ripped off by principles? Um, that is, I'm so glad you brought it up because my sponsor would say, don't put hundreds of people on do categories mm-hmm. people and do some important people do mm-hmm. institutions and then do principles okay principles are one of the toughest because it has to do with religion And it gets very frightening to look at things without having to leave your religion, but to look at things within our religions that are not working for us who have addictions. Very difficult. Uh, Principles are... uh, Politically is a good one, and religiously. My way is the right way. I've read about it. I've studied about it. I know I'm right. You're wrong. There's this general principle that if I'm right, you have to be wrong. Very rare we hear a principle that both sides are right. Very difficult. We have so many different religions here today. 
And there's a tendency for many religions to say, mine is the chosen religion. And if you don't do it my way, you're going to go in a rough direction. That's a principle we all have, for the most part, not all, but most people. Politically, our concepts of parenting, all kinds of concepts. There's a lovely book that, uh, since this is not a, I don't speak for essay, I like to also say there's a little book and it's written by a, a Jesuit who, it's called The Way to Love, tiny little book. And the whole little tiny book is about the word attachments, how to let go of attachments that we don't even know are attachments. Our brain programming that happened at about at least two years old, before we knew the word me, mine, and I, after about two, everything's been programmed in. To teach us me, my, and mine, which at about age two, you begin to be programmed that you're separate from everyone, not connected to everyone. And there's a term for this, and it's called duality versus non-duality. Duality is God is there and I am here. You are there and I am here. Everything's separate. Non-duality for me means if there weren't a worm in the ground to open oxygen for the roots of the fruit tree, the fruit tree couldn't grow and give fruit and give out oxygen, which helps me survive. So that worm is as connected to me as anything else. We get a glimpse of this here, how connected we are through our weaknesses. It's hard to get connected through strengths. It's much easier for us to get connected through our weaknesses. So I could tell you how, oh, by Four years, you should be well enough that you don't get angry at your wife. For 20 years, you don't get angry at your daughter-in-law. No, that's not my way to connect with you. I need to tell you what's in my life today and my weaknesses. And this is an entirely different principle that we learn here. The principle of connecting from our weaknesses rather than from our strengths. Did I bullcrap that one or did it answer some of the stuff you were asking? (laughs) Well, it's kind of like at the end of Felix the Cat cartoons, it says both the end and to be continued. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Harvey.
why Jason's question is so important is because as you get to the 11th step, in the 11th step, where it says not only prayer, but meditation equally, prayer and meditation, 50-50, you get to mindfulness. And within mindfulness, you can see those principles from your own life. What has been programmed in? Once you see what is programmed in, you then have the freedom of choice to say, yes, I like that program. I'm going to keep it. Or no, I don't like that program. I don't have to do that one today. I'm a grown person. And so I'll give this little story. Many years ago in recovery, my wife and I were traveling to give a conference. And it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, Nancy, we were in the airport. Let's have ice cream. And she said, Harvey, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. We can't eat ice cream. And I said, honey, we're not children anymore. We could eat ice cream anytime we want. See, it was a program principle when we were young. No, you can't have ice cream in the morning. Ali, I missed you Tuesday. You were, you were missed. <laughs> That's not a shame message. It's a love message. <laughs> Next question. Uh, go ahead, Guy. I'll try to turn my video on. Oh, and after, Guy, we need to close, and then we could continue for the next 30 or so minutes. All right. So thank you, Harvey, um, Daniel. Uh, you spoke about the steps, and uh, it's, it's funny because how you describe doing step four is more or less how I did it, even though I was instructed otherwise. Uh, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do, so I turned to the big book, and I just copied. I, I used the same method. As, as is written in the, in the big book. But it was not what, uh, what the sponsor told me to do. So I had to do it again. Now, the first time I did it, I was, I was very much into it. I really like, I was crying. I was really like into the process. But second time, it was like, it was, it was not clear what I was supposed to do. And the third time and the fourth time. And eventually I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it uh, the right way, the, the way I was supposed to do it. Um, and um and and this led to the whole thing like stopping and me just you know just losing the interest to 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 go on and try and complete the fourth step and eventually um uh you know good things happen in the end because of me not completing the job but i, I i'm just curious like you know cuz i would probably have to complete the fourth step soon again you know to go it uh, a second time and uh like, what would you advise to me to, to make it right this time? Yeah, stop. Since you've already done it, stop yeah. calling it a fourth step and continue for your sponsor, but call it a tenth step. On what My step? sponsor taught me that you only do the fourth step once. Okay. 
You could call it whatever you want, but you're really doing a 10th step, meaning continue here, continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So everything semantics. So you could do the fourth step with your sponsor, but in your own mind, you could think of it as that's how I do my 10th steps with the columns. And we'll get to the fourth column next week. So I'm not ignoring the fourth column. But, well, I am this week, but next week we'll get to the fourth column. But it's all semantics. Okay. And my, my sponsors were very different. They were not uh, direct telling me what to do. They would say, it's in the big book. Go find it. Mm-hmm. There is a tendency nowadays to spoon feed much more. But there's reason behind it. I mean, it led to good things, right? So, Well, if you've done the fourth step, you've done it. I mean, it it led to me working a better program, so. But take it one day at a time and be careful that you don't end up in a 10th step resentment towards your sponsor. So do what he says. But if it isn't feeling quite right, to yourself, you could certainly call it a 10th step. And you could say it. Hey, I've done the fourth step. I'm going to do it again because you want me to do it a certain way. So you surrender. But you could say, but personally... This is part of my 10th step. (laughs) Why does sponsorship work? Because it's not what our sponsors tell us. It's that we're willing to surrender to what our sponsors tell us. Mm -hmm. So I got a new AA sponsor uh, about when COVID started. And... um, he he sends me his gratitude list, his uh, three things. He sends me his concerns and fears that day. He sends me his plan called Unawakening. And then he reads something, copies it, and then he writes about it, his take. And he told me to do it. Well, I do 30 gratitudes every morning. He wanted only three. And so I said to him, but I do 30. You want me to do three? (laughs) And I heard myself say it, and I surrendered. And then I was annoyed he didn't pick up the phone enough. I'm used to talking to a sponsor. He does it this way. Well, now, after eight, nine months, I am so hooked on doing this. He has me do the same thing, a reading, my contemplation on it. And um, now a few of my sponsees have asked to do it with me. I didn't tell them other than a few I suggested because they weren't contacting me very much. <coughs> but... um. But basically, I needed to surrender to what my sponsor asked, told me. 
this. I asked him, what do you want me to do? If I don't ask my sponsor and he tells me, that's a suggestion. But if I ask my sponsor a question, even when he's wrong and I know he's wrong, I do it anyway. And I win. Yes, I surrendered. But I'm very careful in asking my sponsor because I will do whatever he says. So I do not ask my sponsor, should I quit my job? He has no idea about my job. Only what I tell him, which is distorted. Mm -hmm. It's coming from my view. Mm -hmm. I've also had to learn not to tell my sponsor what happened to me first by saying what the other person did. I first tell him what I did and then tell him the background. Otherwise, I'm manipulating my sponsor and I'm real good at that. Setting up the play. And if he doesn't even ask me for the background, I don't tell him. I just tell him my what I messed up with. Right. I mean, it's just really late and goes <coughs> almost eleven thirty. Uh, like we know that the only first step we have to do perfect way. Um, but other steps now. But in, in the five paragraph, we have uh, the health measures. Um, so, I mean, it's about first step. Uh, health measures allow us nothing, zero. Or how should I understand it? Half measures availed us nothing. Yeah. It goes half measures availed us nothing. In AA, they say half measures do not give us a half. <laughs> It gives us zero. So when you have 10 apples and you give away five, half of them, you have five left. In 12-step program, that's not true. It's not a true principle. If you have 10 apples and you give five away, you have no apples. You've never had apples. It's a different spiritual equation. It's an equation, a spiritual equation. You cannot beat someone up with your fists halfway. You're And say, oh, I only beat him up halfway. You beat him up. So when, and in America, we have a wonderful expression. He did it half-assed. That's how we say it. <laughs> he did it half-assed. It means he's not really doing it. It means it's sloppy. Now, we're not judging it. We're stating it. When it comes to the first step, 
honesty to self, willingness to let go of old ideas, but the realization you cannot lust a little bit and expect not to get craving. The phenomenon of craving. A severe alcoholic cannot take alcohol like we discussed last week and put it in milk and think he's not going to end up back to where he was. Thank you, Avi, and good night. Thank you. Anybody else have any questions? By the way, it's a very difficult thing, that first step, because we don't want to confuse it with religion. If you don't do this, you don't do that, you might not be able to go for communion. If you don't go to services twice a day, if in certain religions, uh, you <laughs> God's going to get angry at you. You know, this is not a religious concept. This is an allergy concept. The first step is a medical step. It doesn't mention God. Now, naturally, God's in everything, but it doesn't mention it because it's a disease step. You either are a, a, a sexaholic or you're not. If you're a true sexaholic, if you try to control and enjoy lust, which is not talking about your physical body, it's talking about what's in your mind. And we cannot stop the first thought. Jess helped so many people and so many of us. You cannot, um, absolutely does not mean you're going to stop the first thought. Chair, uh, Jess would say the first thought is on God. That's how we're made biologically with addiction. I see an orchid plant. I'll see a, a, a vagina and a penis. That's how my, my mind's made. Lust is what I do with that first thought. Do I nurture it? Do I move it into a motion cinema picture or do I immediately go to the essay book for the 18 wheeler where it has 18 suggestions what to do with a trigger you will never stop seeing triggers it's impossible we had a man in Nashville for years who was totally blind. And he would act out through sound. He'd watch pornography through sounds. Wherever I go, there I am. You can't run away from a trigger. They're going to appear. Now, once I see the trigger, it's what do I do with it?
Do I just sit there and get mesmerized? Or do I say, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that trigger, may I find in you and somehow turn my chair or walk out of the room? Okay? We stood at a turning point. That's what those first five paragraphs say. Every moment of the day, I'm standing at that turning point. But it's an incurable, incurable Okay, so we can't just ignore it. Next question. You're either allergic to lust or you're not allergic to lust. If you're not allergic to lust, there's no crime in it, no problem. What's so bad about lust? Noticing a beautiful woman or a beautiful guy or whatever. There's nothing wrong with it. Masturbating. People have been masturbating for thousands of years. No matter what our religions tell us. We're going to get warts. We'll go blind. By the way, I did go blind 12 years ago. In one eye. And when I came to the meeting, the guys in Nashville would say, see, it finally caught up to you. There's <laughs> uh, a principle. Yeah. <laughs> so lust is not a dis- badness we're talking about. Lust is just like alcohol. They even use alcohol in religious services. But I can't drink alcohol. I'm allergic to it. I can drink it, but not successfully. I have an allergy. Most people will not accept the first step absolutely, that they have an allergy. Physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. I'm taking a breath. This, I can't tell you how many times I've said this over 36 years, and hardly anyone believes me. And I watch people, I bet I've watched 3,000 people in Nashville come and go. We have quite a few people with 30 years, with 25 years in Nashville. Uh, But let me tell you, most people never accept the disease model. Because of the religious principle, they cannot free themselves of the sin principle. Now, did I do sinful behavior? (laughs) Yeah, it's bad behavior. I missed the mark. The Hebrew word for sin 
is an archer's term, the original word for sin. You miss the mark. Yeah, I miss the mark. But it was because I had a disease. And I still miss the mark with anger and jealousy and resentment and greed. But I'm so much better than I was. Not as well as I'll get. Hey, how's it going? Um, Anthony here. Um, um, earlier, you um, had mentioned about the Hazleton um, method to step four. Um, can you explain that um, and share um, how that's helped you or sponsees? I, uh, I tried it. You know, that was when I did my steps decades and decades ago. I tried it, but I ended up doing this model, the one from the big book. In many people in the States go to treatment centers. And in the treatment centers, different places might have different ways of doing it. A lot of treatment centers keep you for 30 days and have you do the fourth step while you're there. You know, so uh, the other places aren't wrong a ways, but I do it the way the book says. Who's next? Um, Melissa? Yes. Hi. Sorry about that. I had to step away for a second. Okay. Thanks for the conversation. Um, I have a question in regards to um, my addiction being related to working. Um, Yes, it's an allergy. I have a choice. Um, I haven't worked in multiple years. I'm afraid to work. Um, due to sexual harassment and other people lusting on me. So it's twofold. I've caved. I've gotten into the, you know, um, indiscretions at work. And um, I'm not quite sure how to reapproach. Obviously, I can't work without having money. Um, so I'm really struggling in that area. Um, and then also, if there's any suggestions around how to handle another person lusting after me, saying inappropriate things, um, I can do my part to um, pray for the person, you know, say no or walk away. But like, for instance, last week I was followed by somebody at church and he was harassing me. And I'm just, I'm like, if I can't handle it in a store or at church, how will I be able to go back to work? I would love your thoughts and suggestions. Thanks. I don't have an answer. Uh, people are quite inappropriate. I happen, I watch TV and uh, I watch basically only South Korean soap operas because um, it's a whole different culture and people aren't doing that. I can't even explain it. It's unbelievably positive. And, um, but our culture's loaded with this. Um, I think the first place is the most difficult. Whenever we're pointing a finger, there are always three fingers pointing back. You need to go into a deep inventory 
on how you have harassed other people sexually. Since you've been a kid. Uh, maybe you haven't. But statistically, um, we get very uptight. I use the term this, it's happened to me. If you spot it, you got it. So you and your sponsor might just want to work on what is your history of harassment. Your brain might say, I, oh, I would never do that. Well, we'd have exhibitionists come in to the program and I'd say, oh, I'm glad I'm not an exhibitionist. <laughs> and then after a year or so, start remembering all the places I exhibited myself. <laughs> I'm not a voyeur, only he is. Then I, over the years, saw where I was a voyeur. The program is about how to clean up my side of the street. We're never going to change the outside. And it's a problem, you know. Yes, it is real. Well, thanks, Harvey. And that's something I've definitely been looking at with my sponsor. And um, I, I think, um, you know, perhaps, I don't know, other than I've, I've gained a bunch of weight. I don't wear makeup. I look like a boy. I try not to talk to people and things still happen. So um, I, I think there's a story, Melissa. I'm sorry. I want to tell you the story that there was a woman Nancy and I got very attached to the first few year and first year and a half in recovery and she was going for her PhD she had no car and she'd ask us to drive her to the SA meetings and we were friendly you know met at meetings met at AA meetings and one day she walked up to me and handed me a letter and said um, she was like a co-founder in the essay in Nashville. And she handed me a letter and she said, I'm in love with you. And I know you're in love with me. So I can't talk to you outside of me. It shook me up to, I mean, it was one of the more painful experiences in recovery. This, this gal, if we were left alone on a island and she was the only person there, I might give it some consideration, but I doubt it. And this was rough. And I had to say to her, I'm not interested in you. I am not in love with you. Now, a lot of times what happens is we 
think things that are based on what's happening, but sometimes they're not quite what they are. Over the years, um, she became, <laughs> you'll hear the jealousy in me. She became, when our founder, Roy, just really appreciated her and her program and all that, and I'd be a little jealous. <laughs> but she was around for about seven years, and she it wasn't easy the way she acted. We'd sit at meetings. We didn't. She'd tell us how to. We had to cross our legs. We couldn't have our legs open in any way. I mean, it was not easy. And I got. I was getting so upset at her once. And in, I went home and I wrote. This goes back like thirty years, thirty four years ago. I wrote. If you spot it, you got it. List. I wrote every characteristic about her I couldn't stand. And I used them as my characteristics and did an inventory on my own characteristics. This program is not what it looks like. It looks like it's about getting rid of lust. No, it's about getting comfortable so we don't have to default to lust. Because the brain will, because of our damaged brain in many ways, it will automatically default to lust. Now, I want to tell you another story, Melissa. Uh, my disease, I envy people who are only allergic to half the population. I'm allergic to 100% of the population. And young men, you know, 25, 30, whatever. Uh, I didn't talk to young men in the program for at least two years. Because I could never truly be honest with my true intentions. Was this an aspect of lust? So what would happen is some handsome young guy would come to a meeting and he was really hurting and he'd say, um, and I'd say to myself, gee, I could, I know the answer to his problem. I need to tell him. And then I would ask myself, Harvey, if he were 80 years old and messed up and sloppy, would you cross the room and talk to him? I'd have to do tricks to get honest with myself. And if I answered the question, yes, I would, I still brought another member with me, told them what I needed to do, and then immediately left. I timed my conversations with the young men for ages. Now I sponsor people of all ages. It doesn't matter who they are, what age they are. Um, sponsored one guy from age 21. He's like 26 now. I help him with many of these young people into marriages, you know, through dating and marriages. But it took me a lot of years 
to work through some of this. Yes, I have a bad disease, bad meaning. It, it, it will kill me. And so I'm just sharing with you um, that this is not easy, Melissa. It's not. And I also want to mention one of the most attractive things to many men are boyish looking women. So don't think you're going to be immune by being the boy. There's some people on the thing shaking. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you could dress up with a wig <laughs> wear a clown's outfit and somebody's going to get off on it uh. in that program so we have to have a good sense of humor and uh, one of the most attractive women I ever knew I never knew her was um, oh not Br- uh, Bridget Bardot and man, in her day, she had the most boyish figure except for her front. And that was one of her charms. So maybe you're going to get dressed up less boyish. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> oh. Just joking, but you never know. <laughs> That's quite the context shift. And I appreciate it, actually. Thank you. We're, we, laughter is the main cure for this disease for one day at a time. Okay, we have Brendan left. Go for it, Brendan. It's that big button on the left. No, you're still muted. Give yourself a moment to breathe into it. There you go. Now we can't hear you. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I guess, don't worry, I, I, I'll pick it up bit by bit, you know, as we get up the volume. Um. Harvey, you you spoke about principles and you spoke about religion, and um, you know it's, it's it's an interesting thing. I came into recovery, and you know I was definitely not going back to the religion of my my youth. You know, that was that was that was that was the first thing I said. I said like anything but that, huh? and and uh, and I you know I went with various different variations along the way, and eventually you know let's say I did I did get back to the, the religion of my youth. Um, the faith tradition, I suppose, I was brought up in. But, you know, I always tried very strongly to, you know, at the start, I, I, I'm working with other people, I always say, this is not, like, let's not get mixed up between, like, sort of the program and religion. It's not, it's not religion. Now. Um, at a certain stage in my recovery, now, you know, building a relationship with a higher power or whatever, but I, I do find that there's times when it's challenging. Uh, it's challenging those those that that that's the part of religion is challenging. Uh-huh. Um, you know, becoming involved with a higher power related to a religion can stream in a whole load of other stuff, which sometimes can get quite complicated uh-huh. and uh, and challenging in itself. And and there's times where you know we talk about a real loving God in this in this program. Um, and when I look at religion, I'm just going to say, well, can that be a loving God? Uh, I just wondered, you know, those challenges between program religion, because, I mean, obviously it's a program which has brought me sobriety. Um, yes, Brendan. Uh, you, wonderful question. One of the principles is what we're taught in our religion is the religion. 
So we take important people who are with, who have titles, and say that's the principles I either have to accept or reject. What I did for 36 years since I've been recovering is I've disregarded everything of a angry God, and I found a God in my life called Hashem, who is a loving God. Okay? Now, but it's totally out of range of anything anyone tells me about. Because one man said it so clearly in the 1200s, for, in my religion, it's beyond time and space. Well, what happens is so many people who teach us religion are teaching us about God who, in a time and space category. I had to go study on my own, and I never have stopped on my own. Within Every religion, in Muslims, you find it Sufis. In Judaism, Kabbalah has a lot of this. In Catholicism, there's so much they don't talk about, about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. They're very busy talking about the Father and the Son. So it takes my doing, my own letting go of old ideas, but not tossing out the baby with the bathwater. So I have found all these principles of 12-step recovery in my religion. But most people can't see it. You will see it too in your religion. But it's going to be up to you to find it. Because people are not going to give it to us because they weren't given it. So until you read the uh, Anthony DeMello, you know, the Jesuit priest little book and other books, you'll think that all of Catholicism, if it is Catholicism, that all of it's the way you've been taught. Then you read this Jesuit who was born in India. And you see all his other, how he takes the same religion, quotes the same quotes. But that's up to me. I had to let go of old ideas. And there's a man from about the 1200s who's world famous in my religion. And he wrote this book called Duties of the Heart. And he said, no matter who your teacher is, go check out the sources. No matter who it is, check it out yourself. And I learned from that because I usually say when I quote from a page, unless I have it in front of me, don't believe what I say. Go find it yourself. This I make this up in my own image. So this is a fascinating journey. Fascinating. And when 
the journey in my life, God, over the past couple of years, it's amazing how all the religions are saying the same thing. It is amazing. I had to learn a lot of this, of all things, even though I'm so far from being that through Buddhist concepts. And then I was able to find it in my own religion. But I had to first read it from Buddhist places. It's crazy. About this journey. And then you see it everything. And I want to end with this. Because so many people forget this piece. Many of us in the East know these phrases. Be still and know I am God. The other phrase, the still small voice. This is total 12-step. To bypass my intellect. Which means if I'm praying all the time, I can't hear God. I'm too busy talking with prayers. All kinds of concepts that we don't think about. If we're always praying, how do we ever hear? That's letting go of old ideas. Not old religions. Old ideas about it. Brendan, I could talk to you for hours on this subject, so I'm going to let go. But um, we are part of a program that gives us this permission. The God of our understanding. God of our understanding. Not someone else's understanding. Okay, I talk too much, excuse me, but I get carried away on this topic. It's so close to my heart. And I'm just so grateful a man in an essay meeting years ago in Manhattan. I'm from Tennessee, and every year I go to see Broadway shows with my wife and go to an essay meeting and this guy hands me a book this thick called I, I Am That. This thick. And I said, with a rapper, I said, oh my God, why do people give me books? <laughs> what do I need these books for? I'm not going to read this book. <laughs> it's so thick. I read it and my life changed. Because I have realized I can't get it from the outside. And that's what we're taught here. It's not what we can do. It's what this program is not what we learn. It's what we unlearn. And then what's left is our truth. It's all about unlearning this program. I can't live without sex. I can't live without controlling people. 
God's going to punish me if I don't do this. God's going to punish me if I don't do that. It's all unlearning to find the God of AA or SA, a loving God manifested in our group conscience. It says it what it is. And how we get to that and what it means to each and every one of us might be very different. But that word love, a loving God, and it says love and tolerance is our code. Everywhere you look, it's the word love. And I'm a love cripple. Man, what a problem to be a love cripple. And that my essence is love. Man. Well, as the ego goes, what's left is the divine, which is love. He breathed into me, spiritus, from the Latin word spirit, spiritual, from the Latin word spiritus, which is the word breath. <laughs> he breathed into us. It's about being in this moment, the breath staying right here. God is not in the past. Only fear is in the past. I mean, in the future. God is not in the past. Only resentment's in the past where we go back. God's not in the future. That's fear. We get frightened. But when we're right here in the moment, we experience it. And we don't even know we're experiencing it. Again, this is not an essay. The meeting was over. I'm giving you books. I'm giving you other things. But this is not an essay. This is just my journey. My journey that never stops in this program. I, I can't believe it. It's, I can't believe it. I'm letting go of ownership. I don't say my children anymore. They're not my children. That's a principle that's insane. I biologically gave them, help give them life. But they're all, my four kids are all in their 50s. How can they be my children? They're adults. I have no control over them. My wife. Like I own her. No, she is a woman I have chosen to live with and to care about. My children are some of them are ones I would pick as friends, some I wouldn't. <laughs> but then again, letting go of ownership. And how do we apply this to end to our disease? We do it. My body, my good looks, my bad looks, my uh, 
is my genitalia large enough or small enough? Mine, you know, did I do this right? Didn't I do it right? All these possessions and preoccupations that have nothing to do with... I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.